It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints and our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Everybody, welcome to the podcast once again. We want to thank you for joining us. It's always great to know that there are people out there listening and uh, engaging with us in this content. Uh, this is a great format for us, and so uh, we're glad that you have made us part of your day. And uh, once again, we are taking a little uh, side excursus into uh, just business of the church, which is great, and and we're just making it available uh, to anyone at this time on the podcast uh, as we move forward with the additional uh, pursuit of leadership at Truth Family Bible Church. And uh, last uh, last time we were recording together, we had uh, Brett Kendall in studio uh, going through our uh, practical elder examination questions. This was, was uh, practical theology is really what we're uh, highlighting here, uh, we've received from each of the elder candidates their, their really their personal theology as they work through systematics, and um, and, and so we we've gotten that in written form from them. We've also sat down with uh, each candidate and their wives in order to uh, sit down and go through each of the biblical qualifications as outlined in First uh, Timothy and Titus, and uh, had a great time doing that. That's really important. Uh, Brett Kendall gave his testimony, both of salvation and even his walk of sanctification as the Lord has led him to this point in his life. Uh, we heard from, from him recently on that, and we will be hearing today in studio. We have our other elder candidate, that is Kelly Shoemaker. Uh, we are privileged to have him. He, we will be hearing from him in church also for, with his testimony, but today is the opportunity that we have to spend time with Kelly uh, going over also this practical uh, theology exam. So, uh, Kelly, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And just a, another quick highlight of that, uh, in terms of what this is valuable for as we work through elder examination, is really wanting to see from each uh, candidate um, how their theology really is applied. Uh, and that's really where it gets um, important to to see what kind of an elder a person is going to be. Uh, how do they think? What are the what is their approach to life from a Christian perspective? And and so a lot of these things are um, there's academic elements to it in terms of study and thinking through issues. But these are very practical. And certainly in the last few years, we've learned how important it is for uh, elders to apply their shepherding to uh, the life in the church. And so uh, this is a great opportunity to ask those types of questions. I think we've learned a lot in the last few years, and we want to take, we don't want to ignore that. We want to take what we've learned and uh, seek to work those things out. And so this is a great opportunity to do that. We'll do similar to what we did with uh, Brett uh, last time. We will break this podcast up into several episodes uh, as we will uh, just uh, record until we've gotten through early all of our questions. And uh, Jim and I will just take turns, uh, kind of popcorning our questions for Kelly, and he will uh, work, do his best to answer them. So we're looking forward to this time together. Kelly, are, are you ready? I think so. All right. The first most important question is, 
How tall are you? I am on the basketball, my high school basketball roster. I'm six foot seven, and I'm going to stick with that. Oh, you're going to go with that? Yes. Well, Look, this is a uh, controversy. Means, uh, that's, yes. a, that's a two inch. That's a two inch uh, uh, generous uh, give there. Right? Yeah, this is a controversy because I'm six foot six, and when we put our hands up, we both touch finger to finger. So. We've got controversy. Well, I have very short arms. Already. Yeah, I, I acknowledge that I have very short he's, arms. He's a T-Rex. Yes. <laughs> Can't reach the bill. <laughs> well, very good. That, that does qualify you to be on the elder team. Uh, okay. It is a, uh, you know, Brett is in trouble. Uh, he, he's oh, yeah. Now, yes, we, are, we do recognize that you are beardless. And so then that, that, that disqualifies you. So we're really in a conundrum as to what to do with you. And I tried to remedy that last week, and I just, I just couldn't do it. Then the cat licked your face, yeah, and it was yeah, over. it was over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's always fun. Uh, we are uh, the, the, tall, the tall trees uh, among some of us as we stand around yes. at church. So uh, great to, um, to, to have you part of this. All right. Well, let's uh, get started with our serious questions here. Uh, Kelly, what is your view broadly of the social justice or cultural Marxism movement in our country? And would you also describe some of your understanding of the cultural Marxist strategy? All right. Yes. Um, so social justice slash cultural Marxism, I would say right off the bat is a worldview that is at odds with the biblical worldview. Um, and, and their strategy is uh, basically what it is, is a redefinition of justice. So the Bible um, defines justice. You know, justice is a good biblical word that has a lot of meaning behind that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What um, social justice does is it takes that good word and it redefines it. Um, so Marxist social justice um, is based on the idea that um, that that, that there are two, there are essentially two, uh, you can divide humanity into two groups of people, the oppressed and the oppressors. And, and that can be split up in a number of different ways. You know, you could think of it as Marxism 1.0, um, divided it up along socioeconomic uh, areas. So you had the poor and you had the rich. Um, the poor were oppressed, the rich were the oppressors. The landowners... Um, the, the factory, the, the owners of the means of production, those were all oppressors. Um, in, in cultural Marxism, it, what it does is it divides uh, those groups up differently. So men oppress women. Um, uh, whites oppress non-whites. Um, heterosexuals oppress homosexuals, you know, and, and and it just goes on and on, and in all the different sexual deviancies, it splits it splits it up um, along those lines too. Um, and and so, what what Marx's view of justice is that the, what you need to do is identify the oppressed groups and the oppressor groups, and then you take um, f resources and power from the oppressed group and you give it. To the oppressor group and we've seen those kinds of revolutions a number of times in china but you had it backwards there but yes oh well, yeah okay yeah i have it backwards that's right we um understand. but um you saw it in china you saw it in uh in countries that were taken over by communism um and so and so justice in a marxist sense is 
is taking that binary and turning it on its head. So, so the oppressed are given the resources and the power. And that is justice in, in a Marxist sense. So, and so it, what is required is in that is partiality. And, and the only way that, um, it, the only way for this to happen is for uh, partiality to be applied to society. So you don't, you don't judge a person based on their individual characteristics. You judge them on whether they are part of the oppressor class or not. So you look at that person and you say, are you white? Are you male? Are you heterosexual? If so, you know, justice is going to be served to you because of your, because of those characteristics, not because of you your individual, judged. you stand judged because of yeah. your identity group, not because of your individual behavior. So you could have been a very generous, um, though wealthy landowner in Soviet Russia and loved by all of your people. But when the, when the um, Marxist engine rolled around, that did not matter. What mattered was that you were a landowner and, and justice needs to be served to you. So bring the biblical worldview into that. So now that you've, you've defined that, bring a scriptural response to that. Like what would okay. our response to that look like? So God describes, describes himself as impartial in his own judgment. And he says um, that he, he also says that he hates partiality uh, in, in, in human distributive justice. Um, so, so in the Old Testament, partiality means um, to regard the face. So, so when you see a picture of Lady Justice, she always has a blindfold on because the goal in true justice is that you can't see the face, if that makes sense. So social justice requires partiality because it is based on gender, skin color, socioeconomic status, or, or any number of sexual deviancies. Um, so with social justice, the face must be regarded in the sense that before you can determine if a person is guilty or deserves favor, you must know the gender or skin color or, you know, any, or the sexual deviancy of the person. Um, so that's, so that's partiality versus impartial. Exactly. How about reparations or redistribution? How would you scripturally handle the idea of I'm going to take from you and give to somebody else beyond impartiality? beyond impartiality yeah. yeah like the idea of oh be of being partial right um uh, i i think that it on its face it's it's ridiculous to me that you would take money from me because somebody who had my skin color did some bad stuff a hundred years ago that is that is impartial or that is partiality right does that as far as reparations yep. i I don't, I don't see a case, a biblical case, uh, because you'd have to go against God's hatred of partiality. And just along those lines, I think what you're describing there when you're, of course, you're associating it there with partiality, you're describing it uh, as the, what's being proposed today for reparations is sinful reparations, and really it's an excuse for that redistribution. It's to take from from some and to uh to pick winners and losers to to take from some to redistribute to others uh would you deny that um though though that the bible does talk about making restitution 
for sin and for, for sin and crimes and things like that. Uh, are, do you have a, a sense of the idea of restitution as opposed to, and uh, just do you st- distinguish that from reparation? Oh yeah, yeah. And and I think a, a, an error in a lot of people's thinking is that, um, you, you, you know, you think of the the ambit or, or the the circle of all injustices in the world. You know, here they are. And I think that civil government is designed to only handle a small subset of those civil uh, of those injustices, and and when you try to make and it and it truly was an injustice that 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 black people were made to be slaves and that and that that the, the white owners of those black people benefited and that benefit was passed on to their to to their progeny. That truly is unjust, but um, the idea that that civil justice has the power in our current day to remedy that, um, it, when when you know God puts limits on what civil justice can do, and and uh, and and so when when you try to expand that to handle other injustices, which are which are really real true injustices, you end up with a remedy that is more un, uh, unjust than than the problem, so if when, that makes sense. Yeah, when government tries to play God, uh, things usually don't go well. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that, and that's the idea of cosmic justice. I don't know if you've read Thomas Sowell's um, book on uh, the quest for cosmic justice. That's that's exactly what that's about. No, that's good. Uh, moving forward here with additional questions along these uh, lines, uh, do you believe that systemic racism is a problem in our country? If so, how so? And if not, uh, how would you defend your answer? So some would say that our country has a history of systemic racism. Um, and I agree with I agree with that reasoning, but I, I don't think that the word uh, systemic is the right word to use. So, so chattel, slavery, Jim Crow laws, race-based denial of service, redlining, um, mortgage lending practices, these are just some examples. Of true, of true injustice, uh, of true racism, and these were we, these were real, clearly identifiable racist laws and policies that have existed in our country. Uh, so, so the biblical view of racism is what the book of James says is is just simple, uh, simple partiality. That's that's racism. Is just simple partiality. So men men can be racist. Laws can be racist. And policies can be racist, and there, there are a lot of examples of that. There's, there's probably some that exist even now. Um, but to call an entire system racist without clearly identifying either racist people, laws, and or policies within that system is foolish. And, and ultimately, it is very unhelpful in rooting out real racism mm-hmm. or, impartial, or partiality. It is to make a charge with no concrete evidence. But I think what people mean today when they say systemic racism is something quite different from, from the biblical view of, of racism or partiality. Um, what, what they mean is that certain races have disparate outcomes from other races. Uh, for instance, people of African descent earn less than people of European descent. Um, black men are also disproportionately represented in prison, 
And, and these disparate outcomes are taken as evidence of racist discrimination. Um, but when we press for possible reasons for the disparities um, within the populations themselves, we are basically given the, given the two horns of a dilemma. Um, you either blame the circumstances or you blame the victim. Those are the, those are the only options that they give us. So if you don't blame the circumstance, then you are just a victim shamer. But, but the, the huge assumption here is that what happened to the quote victim had to happen given the circumstances. Um, so, so there is no recognition that the victim may have had some role in creating the circumstances. It may not be a, a, an actual victim. Exactly. Um, so, so the victim is just a machine producing outputs that can only match the inputs. Um, so in this view of human nature, it makes no sense to hold people accountable for their behavior. That would be victim blaming. You just have to change their environment. Take money from the producers and give it to them. It really comes down to a lot of those presuppositions, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they're, 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 they're presupposing that equal outcomes is the actual way it's supposed to be, right? Right. And, and, and so when you don't see equal outcomes, then you simply start, you know, blaming the system uh, as opposed, you know, when, when we would identify that the Bible does not guarantee or uh, actually affirms that outcomes are not going to be equal. There's, there's going to be dependent circumstances. There's going to be well, God's yeah. discipline and God's blessing and different, different uh, outcomes are going to be based on different behaviors and circumstances yeah. and, and well, providence. And it, and it ends up actually, it ends up actually being real systemic racism when this is applied. Oh yeah. You, you know, because, because, um, um, so that's where Marxism comes in. You know, you take from the people who have to give it to those who don't have to change their circumstance. Um, and, and, uh, so what, what it does to these people is, is it makes them dependent. It makes them impervious to challenge and therefore personal change. And it ultimately places great obstacles in the way of their betterment. And, and, uh, and like I said, insofar as it is directed towards blacks and other minorities, it is racist The the social justice Marxist is basically saying that these racial minorities are not capable of assuming responsibility for their actions in the same way that quote, normal people are. And, um, like I said, if anything needs to be labeled systemic racism, this would be it. And well, so, so you're you're just flipping the script on that because and the right. reality is it's it's look in the mirror the me me, me thinks you protest too much right? <laughs> yes right? and the data never supports them right they, there's no there's never well, data a, is racist Jim. there's never a there's never a standard you can't look truth. at the data yeah. like to even question the data yes. is racist so yeah. the interesting the data just came out it's the median household income in the United States by ethnic group and there's seventeen groups mm -hmm. guess where white false number one no right Ni number nine nine nigerians nine. are above um, uh, are above whites yeah so indian americans from india are the yeah. most successful filipino taiwanese sri lanka japanese malaysian chinese pakistan and then white americans which that's also mm. very uh that's, that's a broad brush anyway like i mean like what kind of white 
like George Zimmerman white or like so yeah, that yeah. leads to our next question Kelly yes. if someone were to charge you with white supremacy how would you respond to that so the the idea of white supremacy in in social justice circles is virtually the same as saying that all whites as as a group are oppressors um, so I reject I reject identity policy, uh, politics as a system of thought so of course I would just reject that I think that previously when somebody, you know, I may say when I was in high school, if somebody said that, 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 that white supremacists exist, I would think of North Idaho, you know, the people, <laughs> you know, the people that, that shaved their head, the skinheads, those who truly wanted to suppress, uh, that, that wanted to, to, to see the white race as supreme above all others. That's, that's what I would think of. But now they, they basically point at all whites who don't happen to be woke that's that's who all that's who white supremacists are yeah, and it's it's even more than that right if you make america great again you're a white supremacist even if you're black that's right yeah and i do believe that there are privileges that privilege does exist sure so some cult, some cultures are objectively better than other cultures we have a we have a standard in god's law mm. um and i've read that somewhere actually exactly yes we, yeah um is that bonson no, know. it's the or Dallas is it from the Bible. It's, it's the <laughs> <Yeah>. Dallas. <thing. laughs> yeah. Should have worn a shirt. Um, <laughs> so, so this does give some people a leg up. For instance, I have the privilege of being born to a mom and a dad who remained married their whole lives. Yep. That is a privilege. It is. I have the uh, quote, "grew up in a small town in the country" privilege. I do consider that a privilege. Like all the greats in business, in science, they all grew up on farms. <laughs> um. So both my both my parents were college educated. Um, so so differences in status and privilege, they, they have always been, and they will always be, and they will always be fodder for Marxist revolutionaries. I'm not sure college is a privilege anymore, but I know what yes, you're saying. Yes. So, so these are God's decisions. Yeah, so how serious a matter is social justice? Like, what, how should the church, should we handle this? I mean, is this something we should be talking about weekly, or should we just hit on it once, or...? What's your mm. perspective? Well, I would, in general, I would say, you know, to restate that God hates partiality. Marxist social justice requires partiality to implement. Um, therefore, God hates Marxist social justice. The church should hate what God hates. And so we should train our people, you know, talk about it every week. And I don't think we need to do that, but we should train our people to think correctly about this because it is it is what we are swimming in it's in all of our television commercials it's in i've you know w watching a marvel television series i had to stop it and and address marxist ideas that were that were being fed into my kids minds so 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 parents need to know uh, particularly with their kids, how to counter this. I think it's an important point. I, I don't think it's just something that's, well, that's just out there. That's in, you know, government schools. It's in, you know, certain, you know, sectors of the economy. But, you know, in my home or in our church, I mean, we, we don't we don't need to address that. I, I, I agree with you, Kelly. And I think this issue of, well, if if the Bible talks about partiality, in so many different ways, all throughout the scripture, as being sinful, well, then the church should be addressing in what ways we should not be partial. That like we should be telling, we should be uh, training uh, our our churches hmm. in 
um, understanding how to live holy lives in obedience to the Lord. And, and, and the sin of partiality is an important one to be yeah. addressing. And part right. of good warfare is knowing what your enemy's doing. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's right. clearly, and, and it's not that we don't focus on God, it's that we take God's word and we're applying it to here's what it looks like for us and here's what it looks like for them. Yeah, and, right. and it's, it's dealing with reality. This is what you're going to face because not everything is just, well, we can insulate ourselves in our church and we can just, you know, just love Jesus here. Right. No, you have to live your life loving Jesus in every way out in the world. And yeah, yeah. we talk about the application of Scripture. Right. It's so important. Like, imagine just reading it going, oh, that's what it means, and then moving on. It's how do we apply it to our lives that really matters. Good. Uh, Kelly, do you believe there is biblical economics? And if you do, what would you say are some of the core tenets of, of an understanding of biblical economics? Yes, I do. Um, I, wanna, I have a number of of core tenets here. One would be the private ownership of property. Uh, rather than state state owned, the state owning That's everything. Um, the, just the, uh, you know, in the 10 commandments, thou shall not steal. That assumes private property. That assumes that, that you have things, you know? So um, the second one would be what we were just talking about, impartiality. So no thumbs on the scale for financial transactions for different groups of people. Mm. Um, so everyone plays by the same rules. That's what, that's what traditional or biblical justice is, is that everyone, you know, if you're in a fight, you know, uh, if you're in a boxing match, they both need to play by the same rules, regardless of whether what one gets a beat down or not. Um, let's see another so one you're against uh, trans women fighting, uh, real women. I think I am. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let me write that down. I'm going to think. About how about, how about <laughs> yes. no work, no food? <laughs> no work, no food. That's, yeah, that's a good one. Um, it should not. So, so any economic system should not be built on, on envy. Obviously, this is a sin. Um, some people can't handle that some other people might have more property than them and privilege. That envy should should not be allowed to be turned into government financial policy, if that makes sense, which is what Marxism is trying to do. Um, and, th and then another one is that th this, this system must take into account the biblical reality of the fallenness of man. So um, Milton Friedman, his, his, um, his critique of socialism, communism as, a, as an economic system is that it requires a small handful of angels who are going to organize society for the good of all. Um, so, so basically, in general, socialism, communism would be a, f a perfect system of economics if man was basically good. If man was basically good, it would be, it would be a great system. But that's, there's the rub. Um, so, so these angels are going to make everything fair and equal for all. This small group of people will decide who deserves what, how resources should be spent and by whom. Um, so, so property, initiative, um, the idea of acceptable knowledge is all centralized and controlled for the good of all by this small angelic few. So but, I'm going to I'm going to stop you for a second. Yeah. I'm gonna I want to challenge that a little bit. Sure. I actually don't believe that that is a good system, even if they were angels, even if we were all angels. I don't think, I don't I mean, think, that's a good point. I don't believe yeah. that there are, uh, see, I think in heaven, in, in, in the eternal state, 
there is not going to be equal outcomes for everyone. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think this is actually the, um, the, the idea of freedom of des desperate, disparate outcomes, um, is actually a, a heavenly ideal idea. And, and it actually mm. is because we, we understand that there are, some will have great reward and some will experience loss. Yeah, we see loss. it modeled in good works. Right. Absolutely. And we, and, we've and, talked about this. Yeah. To, to, you know, some, some will, some will produce more and some will produce less. And I, I don't think that, no, obviously we all have an equal outcome of heaven, uh, all who are in Christ, yeah, yeah. but that's not the same as, as there's an economy in heaven is I, I, I think well, Jim was going to get into this in his Bible study. I, I don't want, I don't want to get too deep into it, but see, uh, if, you know, Milton Friedman says, thinks that, you know, as long as if we actually were, you know, sinless, then communism would be a great economic system. And I'm like, mm. uh, actually, no, yeah. actually, no, because actually communism can't work without us, without, um, well, it doesn't, it never works actually, but, <laughs> but with, even if everyone's perfect, communism is not the uh, godly ideal. We saw this model yeah. in Israel. Remember that was a great study of the economics in Israel where they wouldn't loan the young man money. They would give it to him. With no expectation, no envy, no expectation of it coming back, mm -hmm. and then you participate in that young man's success or failure. You you participate in him being successful, and you're like, look how well he's doing. So or you're invested, in or that if he's person. not doing well, you're yeah. helping him go. Hey, here's the things you need to change. So, mm -hmm. but there's no expectation of reward from another person. It's more. How do we work with them to make them successful, which is really discipleship. And there are some things in attorney that we clearly aren't, aren't going to really, it's hard to get, wrap our minds around. Yeah. The absence of sin. Does the absence of sin make everything equal? I, I'm not convinced of that. No. I'm not convinced of that. Anyway, I, I just wanted to challenge that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I believe I stand corrected. I, I agree with you on that. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, yes. I, I, I think it's an interesting <laughs> yeah. thought. So, and you were just obviously talking about your... Uh, you, you weren't uh, espousing communism or or a, 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 a socialistic right, right, idea. Right. You were just making a point. It would there, it I would to... potentially work if man was basically good. That's that's yeah. at least that's what Milton Friedman was, I guess, kind of sort of. Identifying, yeah, right? yeah, and yeah, and I think what what history shows us is that these these angels actually turn out to be devils. Well, and, and I just I do want to step back in here for just a second. I want to explain why I asked this question. Sure. This question is important because, Kelly, uh, I think a lot of evangelicals, I think a lot of pastors and elders do not actually answer the question in the affirmative that there is such a thing as biblical economics. They actually don't think it exists. Hmm. Uh, some of these principles they might agree on, or they, they kind of live it out in, in their, in their uh, American conservatism, but not Christian conservative, if you will. I think there's a difference. And so uh, a lot of the reason why I, th I think it's important to ask this question of, of uh, an elder candidate such as yourself um, is to just, is we're, we're getting a window into your worldview to identify that you are seeking to apply all of scripture to every area of life, including economics. And I think that there is, a, uh, you're, you're answering this question in an important manner, but I, I think the question itself it's to a, me is, it, it was asked on purpose because many pastors today uh, would say something along the lines of, well, tomato, 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 you know, yeah, Hey, yeah. Or, or, you know, either Christianity doesn't have anything to, to say about, um, economics and, and, and even economic policy, uh, or it, they might say something along the lines of what you were, um, pointing out about Milton Friedman of, well, communism actually, you know, or, or socialism is actually a legitimate, uh, a, a legitimate economic 
policy, you know, that or, the biblical or, worldview doesn't speak to. Exactly, that's right. what they say. Exactly yeah, right. and I know you're not. I know you're saying that. Um, I know you are saying it does speak to that. And I think God's view is much closer to capitalism with the difference of him being the compensation manager. He's the one that rewards. He's the one who gives blessings for his purpose. And so we're to do the hard work, the capitalistic part, with land owning, with dominion, all of the things that are biblical. The difference is is that we're not earning it ourselves. It is a reward. It is a blessing. Is that work? Well, and, for him, mm-hmm. exactly. And and capitalism, free market, um, decentralized free market, it matches reality better because um, it take it takes into account self interest and the fact that the men are going to seek their own interests. Right. And, but what it does is, and and that is true in a Marxist. And that's not selfish, by the way. That's yeah. not sinful selfishness. And what it does, like you do have sin, but but what it does is it spreads out the risk. Like if a man is trying to take advantage of other people. Um, He's not, he's not one of those quote angels in control of everything. He's only in control of his small ambit or, you know, um, all right, we could go all day on this. Let's, yeah, ask, let's move yeah, on. I let's mean, I, I love this topic, so I could, we could do a podcast yeah. on this. No, thank you, Kelly. And, yeah. and thanks yeah. for, uh, yeah. Thank, thank you for, so we've got, we've got some of these statements. Have you read and signed the Dallas statement on social justice? Yes. I, I read and signed it as soon as I heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, and you said a key thing, uh, that earlier, uh, this idea of, some cultures are actually better than others. Yeah, that's actually probably the most controversial statement. I I would suggest that that's why some people couldn't sign it. Um, wow, it, it, that, that I believe that's the the, the most controversial statement that. in there, and I think it's. I but I think it's. I think it's uh, clearly true. I mean, it's obvious. Um, yeah. Moving uh, forward a, a little bit here, um, what is a man and what is a woman, Kevin? Okay. A woman is an adult human female. A man is an adult human male. These are the only two options. And I know this is weird, but a union between one man and one woman is how new humans are made. Um, everything else is abnormal. So, and I, and I would like to add, um, the, add to the fact that, that the fact that we that, that this is even something that we need to talk about means that there is a rebellion going on against God's created order. So God said in both the Old Testament and New Testament that he created humanity with two genders. Um, So this conversation is evidence of nothing but rebellion against God and the world that he has made. And um, and and I and I think there's an element of of Gnosticism there. Um, Maybe we'll get into that later, but um, so yeah. So biblical positioning on homosexuality and are there such things as homosexual marriages? Um, I, I think both Romans one and, and first Corinthians six, nine through 11, uh, equate homosexuality with sin. Um, and I would say it's both the inclination and the action. I, I and, and, and with the caveat, I, I know that people continue to struggle with the inclination, even after conversion. Just like, just like certain sins that don't get, you know, what happens like sometimes an alcoholic, when he comes to Christ, it is just completely wiped out and, and, but he struggles with other sins, you know, as he continues in sanctification. So that's and, the and I think that, and, and, and sometimes God does that for homosexual desires in certain men, you know, conversion, it wipes it out, but sometimes he doesn't. 
So, but that struggle in terms of pro, uh, progressively, yeah, right. yeah. But that struggle should never become an identity. So we should never call them homosexual Christians, or consider them to be sexual minorities in in the church any more than we would wrap identities around other anything else in, like murder i'm a murdering christian that's right <laughs> i'm a thieving christian a drunkard christian and an eating disorder christian you know um so that they should tackle that inclination in the same way that all of us tackle all of our sinful inclinations put it to death and walk in the spirit well thank you kelly yeah. um uh, you kind of already even explained a little bit of this of the question regarding the church's position on transgenderism and those types of things. So I appreciate that. Where do you see, where do you see some of this stuff going uh, in terms of you know the next march of the um, alphabet mafia and in, in its march uh, against God and its rebellion? Where do you see the the future of where this is taking? Well, uh, I, I think. Um, that the goal in all of this is is different than what it might appear. Um, I, I think that, that Marxist revolutionaries see the family as the strongest buttress against their power grab. And so, so the goal is the destruction of all societal structures, church, families, so that all that's left is the state. That is required for a Marxist revolution. So they, they, they want the state to be family and church as far as dependency and loyalty. So their goal is the destruction of family and church, and they're, and they're using whatever tools they can find. And, and those just happen to be promotion of homosexual marriage, promotion of, of transgenderism. And, and from my understanding of history, these things are introduced for the purpose of the, of the, the destruction of society so that the power grab can come to fruition once that power grab is solidified, things change. Mm. They understand that now that they have power, that they can't build what they need to build from that point on with these things continuing, if that makes sense. So, so in a sense, the Red Guard, if you think of China, will eventually be sent to labor camps to be re-educated if that makes sense. So they will, so there will come a point after the destruction of society and the power and the Marxist power grab happens, they will start to, to clamp down on these kinds of things because they understand, they understand what's going on, that it's not a good thing for a healthy society. Hmm. They want it to be as healthy as they can get it, you know, once they have the power because that helps them. Okay. Does that make sense? Um, at most of that, I didn't quite understand the re-education camp. I didn't. Uh, so, so the Red Guard in in China, um, Marx or not Marx, um, Mao Mao Zedong, um, he rose to power on this group of young people that were like the Marxist revolutionaries. As soon as he had that power, he he cracked down on them hard because he saw them as powerful. Mm. and oh, and uh, he empowered them he empowered them and then and then what he did is he he sent them to to the the, con yeah. the country to labor camps to yeah. be re-educated when you're so in he, power the oppressor when you're oppressing you need rules yeah yeah like that's the interesting yeah. thing and, and yeah. you actually in china you eliminate pornography you eliminate all of these things that are deviant that led to the overthrow and like, now you see that yeah. it's bad if you want if you want to improve your power base you got to get rid of this stuff so with China, are you good? With China, let's transition to church and state. Talk okay. about your 
post view of our government now that we're past this COVID-19? Yeah, well, my own personal experience is, is when they, when they, when the lockdown came, I complied. Um, so that was my first response. I also, I also consented to the idea of there being essential and non-essential uh, occupations. And it didn't really affect me because I'm a computer programmer. I just, I just worked from home. So it, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a dog in the fight, essentially. Um, but I had, a, I had a, 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 and I've mentioned this before, a pivotal conversation with Jason Winters. I was asking, how, how are you, I asked him like, how are you doing you know, with the lockdown? How's, how's that affecting your work? And he's like, he said, no man can tell me not to do what God has commanded me to do. And that is, you know, in the cultural mandate, you know, we are commanded by God to subdue the earth, to, to work. And so there, there's, there's no government, there's no person that can tell me, like, I have a right to do this because I've been commanded to do it. And, uh, and I was like, wow, he's a radical, <laughs> you know? And, but that really got, got me thinking. Um, um, and then, and then um, when, the, when the masks came, I used to work at a, at a, at a university and, uh, and I, I would help um, professors write grants. Um, uh, and, and, and I understood what, uh, what was needed as far as human subjects committees, like how long, sci how, how slow the wheel is that turns for changing scientific things. And so when they went with the masks, when they, in, in a two week period, when, when they went from don't wear masks to masks are essential, that did not pass the sniff test for me. Um, the smell so, got through the mask. Yes. Yes. I could oh. still smell things through the mask. Oh, and, okay. and, uh, and so I, I know that science doesn't turn on a dime like that. So it felt like a political move rather than a scientific move. And I, and I didn't know what their end game was, but it just, it just didn't. I didn't like it. Um, so, so um, th there was a declaration. It's called the Warrington Declaration. Really helped me. Um, so, so when they um, in there, it talks about the uh, the, um, the 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 laws in Leviticus thirteen and fourteen. What, what do they call that? The uh, the word is escaping me. Um, the uh, quarantine laws that you quarantine you quarantine people who show symptoms. You don't quarantine a people because without symptoms because they might possibly be sick and, and there's, but there's no evidence of it. That, that is unjust to quarantine an entire society, um, for that reason. And then, um, and then just, uh, yeah, you know, we're going to talk about sphere, sphere sovereignty here in the future, but, but, but just thinking through like, um, like the, the government that, that is outside of their sphere controlling what, what kind of things I, I choose to put into my body or, or out of my body. And then with, with the masks too, like nobody has jurisdiction over what I wear on my face. That, that is my, my decision. You know, they can choose to kick me out of their grocery store. You know, if, if I, if I choose to, to hold on to my face sovereignty, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, that, that's their choice. But I, I don't consider them to have any authority over my face. So as an elder candidate, how would you respond to vaccine mandates, passports, religious exemptions as people are asking you that? Yeah, like in general, I don't mind vaccines as long as they're not mandatory. I don't, I don't think any man has, has the, uh, the authority to, to tell another man to do something like that. 
Um, then I think each parent, each adult should do, should do, should do their own research to determine um, which vaccines they want to take and which they don't want to take. And um, even if they're not a biologist, even if they're not a biologist, okay. yeah, yeah, I, I think you can you can read things and understand them, even if you're not a biologist. <laughs> um, so, um, so I think the mine and my family's personal healthcare decisions are with my own, are within my own personal sphere of authority. Um, so, the Christian um, response would be the same. Um, for the for the in the future, it would be the, the same as my response to COVID. Um, given the fact that there was no evidence of its, of its effectiveness or its danger potential, I, I chose not to do it. Um, but um, and in general, I'm probably always going to balk at being forced to take an experimental medication um, without knowing anything about it. Um, so, like I said, no nobody, no sphere of authority has authority over what an individual puts into their body. Good. Would you uh, describe a little? These are all softball questions for Kelly because he's done a lot of work in this area already. But would you describe your understanding of Romans thirteen and the role of government? Sure. Um, I would start off with with the idea that that chapter <clears throat> breaks in in the Bible are not inspired, and so. So when you take Romans 13 on its own without considering that it is a that it is connected to to the previous chapter Romans 12, um, then I think you run into error. So um, in, in Romans 12, it is it is basically the general idea is be at peace with all men. You know, strive to be peaceful in all of your interactions. Um, let me pull it open here. Um, contribute, yeah, contribute to the needs of the saints, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, in tribulation. bless people when they persecute you. Um, yeah, and then, and then it says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So, you, so if somebody does something evil to you, you are not to, to have a, vigil, a vigilante response. Um, so if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. But as far as you as an individual, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. So that is your response as an individual. But God has not left us without recourse. And that's what Rome, so if you, if you find yourself in a place where it is not possible to be at peace with a certain person, um, and it, and it is legal in nature, um, that's what Romans 13 is about that they, they are that, you know, God has provided, um, a remedy when you find yourself in that position. And so, um, so when it says, let Every so you know, right before it says, "Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good," and then chapter thirteen, verse one, it says, "Let a, every person be in subjection to the governing authorities." So that is that is referencing what he just said in Romans twelve. That idea is leave room for the wrath of God. So so be be in subjection. Do not take your own wrath, but be in subjection to this idea that the government is the one that is supposed to be the wrath bearer, not you. 
So subject yourself to that by not taking yeah, the sword. Yeah, by not taking your own revenge because God has provided a sword-bearing um, wrath bearer for you. Don't do it yourself. Be in subjection to that. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists um, authority in the sense of he takes it into his own hands, he becomes a vigilante. If you resist that vengeance-bearing um, job of the civil government, um, you have uh, opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So if you take the law into your own hands, the law will come down on you, essentially, if that makes sense. Um, so so Romans 13, and, and I'll, I would also say that um, Romans 13 gives marching orders to civil government um, in that, you know, in, in that um, they are, they are to bear the sword for a particular purpose. It is, is not, yes, it is not carte, a carte blanche. Um, you have a sword, do, you know, God says, yeah, here's a sword, now go do whatever you please. <laughs> you know, you are to, you are to put, use that sword to punish evil, um, and that is his only purpose. And evil is defined by God. Um, so the governments are not free to develop their own definition of good and evil. And that's what happens in Marxism. You know, Marxism has a particular definition of what good and evil are. If the sword is used to, to, um, to punish Marx's uh, definition of good and evil, then you have injustice. And that's what you have. That's what tyranny is, is when a government uses a sword to, to enforce a different view of evil than what God has defined. That's yeah. what tyranny is. Perfect transition into sphere sovereignty. Do you believe in sphere sovereignty? If so, what are those spheres that you believe in? And then really, it's always the difficulty is how they interplay with each other. That's yeah. where the rub usually comes. So explain kind of what that looks like if you could. Um, yes, I do believe in sphere sovereignty. Um, yes, so yeah, check that box. Um, the spheres of authority listed in scripture would be personal authority, the, the idea behind self-control, um, familial authority, occupational authority, and civil authority. So what about church authority? Oh, I didn't. Have, oh, yeah, church authority. Yeah, that's just Kelly. Uh, this is yeah. an elder. Exam. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that is a huge <laughs> oversight. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 no earthly authority is absolute uh, or unconditional. Um, God's only God's authority is absolute and unconditional. And 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 the the logic of the of the Warrenton Declaration really helped me here. As far as the, the answer to your your the second part of your what's it what is the interplay right um, so so scripture gives jurisdiction jurisdictional limits to delegated human human authority and we see we we saw that you know in, in Romans thirteen the, these limits are established by good and necessary consequence given that various authorities are said in scripture to be required to be obeyed in quote in everything so. Multiple authorities are, are all said to be obeyed in everything. Um, so, so the sense in which in everything is used in these verses obviously cannot mean that obedience is required for commands regardless of their morality. We, we know that. 
So, so scripture also teaches that Christians should, should disobey sinful or abusive commands. So right there, there's a limit on the word all. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I would say also when it says in everything, it cannot also mean that obedience is required absolutely for all non-sinful commands. Um, because scripture also establishes multiple author authorities and these authorities may at times conflict. When this happens, uh, Christians will need to consider which authority is acting within their rightful sphere to determine if obedience is required and, and to which they serve. And you see this, you know, if a woman is working for, and the boss says, I need you to work late tonight. And the husband says, I need you to come home because I, because we have something planned. You know, she, she will need to figure out which, which is the rightful authority here. Um, so when script, so when scripture says to obey an authority in everything, it means everything that is not sinful and the authority must be a true authority operating within its proper jurisdiction. So, um, so for instance, elders would be operating outside their jurisdiction if they were, if they command their members to only buy certain colors of car. <laughs> I mean, that's a silly example. And, and I believe the government well, was I'm, operating. I think you're being, I think that's prophecy probably though, Kelly. <laughs> Any silly example is probably going to be the real thing in, uh, just what six to six months to a <laughs> oh, year. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that I believe that the government was operating outside of its jurisdiction in commanding people to take the COVID vaccine. Yeah. So, given these authorities, I think it's interesting. Do you have a perspective on the scale or scope of these authorities? Of, of like, each which, of them? which do you believe is largest scripturally and which would be the smallest? Oh, man. Have you thought through that? It's really interesting, my view, and again, I see you thinking about it, but um, mm. civil and church are small spheres. There's very limited in terms of what the scripture talks about. And the amount of family is very high, and the amount of individual is all of scripture. Mm. So it's it's very interesting. That's interesting, yeah. It's an interesting way to think about the way that works. And I think we're, we've, so, we've, we've gotten so patterned into what the civil government is doing we don't recognize the amount of overreach. We've just become numb to it. We're we talk about being landowners. Yeah. yeah. Every piece of land in the United States, they say, is theirs. Is theirs. Every yes. Because they tax it. Inch. Because anything you tax is a declaration of ownership. Yep. I have the right wow. to, yeah. for, for my pound of flesh from the, that transaction, from that piece of property. So I pay rent on my house. You are. Through taxes. That's yes. right. Yeah. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. That's correct. You're submitting you, to them. Because if you don't, if you don't pay that, tell me what happens. Yeah. Well, they come they, to you back. They, they, they give it to someone else. <laughs> yeah. They, yes. they, they take back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you find yourself uh, destitute behind bars or and without a property or whatever, right. would, uh, or, or all three. So there's a there's a number of things. Okay, we we digress. But I know. Keep going. So uh, wrapping up this section, the Franklin Declaration of Christian Civil Liberties. Have you read that one? I know you referenced the other one. Yes, I have, and I and I have signed it. As At least well. I'm pretty sure I have. If I did it right, I know sometimes I sign <laughs> yeah. the same thing. I can't find my name, Danny. Yes. I know I'm losers, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, good, yeah. So the Frankfurt Declaration is a statement on Christian and civil liberties. Uh, a really helpful one. So for any of our listeners, if you haven't gone out there to know what we're talking about, and just a, as a quick reminder, we don't sign uh, sign every statement that's put out there necessarily, right. uh, in true Mark Dever fashion. 
but um, but it is important for us to uh, be aware that there are good and godly Christian men um, who are uh, attempting to bring an understanding to these types of issues and to really uh, crystallize what it is we affirm and deny uh, from a Christian worldview, biblical perspective uh, about various things. And so whether it's social justice, that's the Dallas statement, or it's the this issue of of civil liberties and um, uh, the role of government and so forth from a biblical perspective. The Frankfurt Declaration, these are recent ones, and uh, we found them to be um, very good documents. Yeah, and they were relevant, relevant to what was occurring at that time, and it hasn't gone away. Yeah. Yep. You know, so it's coming again. It, it's important, yeah. and, and that's the thing. It's important for elders to identify where we stand. And exactly. so when we sign them, we're saying we, we stand with the this statement, the exactly. Dallas statement, the Frankfurt uh, Declaration, those are important ones. Just like the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy, that's a that's an important uh, statement that um, crystallizes a a view of the scripture. You know, the, these are important. Uh, yeah, it important helps give things. it helps people have a, a clear and open view of what we really believe. That's so right. no beating around the bush. That's yeah. right. All right, a um, uh, couple more maybe before we uh, wrap up this portion of the podcast. Uh, Kelly, what is the role of the church in society in terms of speaking to cultural issues? Um, the church, I believe, is to be the prophet of the culture, helping to clarify for the populace God's views of good and evil uh, as expressed in policies. Um, so, so where else is culture to learn to discern objective good and evil if not from God's law through the church? It sounds kind of salty and lighty. <laughs> yeah, right. that's a good point. Influence, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That... Yeah, so that's great for the culture, but what about politics? What about politics? Yeah, what, what's our voice into political oh, engagement? Oh, oh, well, well, I think the end result of politics is the implementation of policy. So it's, I think it's helpful to think, not, some people get get, get put off by the, the word politics. It's, it's helpful for you to think of policies. So you could say that politics affect policies. Policies affect the lives of real people. Absolutely. So evil politicians will enact evil policies, and evil policies will hurt our neighbor. Therefore? Therefore, so Christians should be engaged in trying to elect good men and in voting down evil policies and laws. So, so I would say is it, it is the duty of individual Christians to be engaged in the political process because of love of neighbor. Duty, Kelly. You're not allowed to use that word. <laughs> duty. That's a dirty four-letter word. Dirty word today. Uh, I yeah. love that word, by the way. Yes, exactly. It's a wonderful Christian word. But for a lot of evangelicals today, duty is a uh, is a four-letter word. Um, did you? Who's next? Last one. Last one before we uh, yeah. we do this one. Go ahead. I think Jeff. I'm next. So, uh, your thoughts on Christian nationalism? This is a big topic that's kind of out there in Twitterverse and in the social media. Um, was America or are we a Christian nation? How would you define a Christian nation? And how should we as Christians be striving for the imminent return of Christ and what that looks like? Well, I, I think there are a lot of definitions floating around um, on what Christian nationalism is. And, and to be honest with you, it's, it, it gets somewhat confusing for me trying to, trying to put them all together and, and understand them. So this is my thinking. I, I just go back to the Bible. Um, so 1 Timothy 6.15 6, says that Jesus Christ is the king of all kings. 
So meaning that each earthly king owes him their allegiance because he is their ultimate sovereign. Um, Psalm 2 says that, that if these earthly kings do not afford the Lord Jesus Christ that allegiance, they will face his wrath. And so the church should let the nations know this. And then um, Revelation 1 says that the Lord Jesus Christ is currently the ruler of the kings of the earth. Um, so in the same way that so in the same way that Christ is the Lord of every man, he is the Lord of every ruler. And and the existence of men who do not acknowledge his lordship does not make him any less their lord. So in the same way, nations who do not acknowledge his lordship also do not make him any less worthy of their allegiance. Um, so it is a it is a great evil when men dispute his lordship, and it is a great evil when nations dispute his lordship. And, and we've talked about Romans 13. It, um, it says that governments are, are to be servants, of they are to be deacons of God, and, and they are to serve him and his purposes. But if everybody in a nation is not a born-again Christian, can it still be a Christian nation? Um, well, well, I would say Christian in the sense that, that, um, uh, you know, I think, um, that the, the civil authorities are commissioned by God to serve him by punishing evil and rewarding good. Um, I don't think that, that nations committing to his purpose for them. I don't think every person in that nation being a Christian would be required hmm. to, for civil governments to, to pick up the commission that God has given them. So was the United States a uh, founded as a Christian nation, would you say? Um, I don't know. It, I would say it's founded on Christian principles. And there have but been, isn't that what you just said? Yeah. Kind of is, is what, yeah. you know, acknowledging that not everybody was Christian in terms of personal salvation, uh, in terms of uh, entire orthodoxy and so forth, but in terms of establishing a system of justice, establishing a nation built on on uh, just weights and measures on um, even the even the the lack of coercion of the individual you know in terms of the freedom of religion the right. freedom of speech and all these different types of things would you say that we were founded as a christian nation not being everybody saved but on those principles yes yeah i believe so yeah in fact um in in uh, great britain at the time you could go to you could go to prison based off of one witness and so they they implemented the in the united states the, the biblical standard of there needing to be two independent lines of confirmation to 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 um, apply justice to a person that was That's huge that was unheard of and equal versus equality was huge yeah France went down the equality and yeah look at France today mm -hmm. yeah well and uh, the reason why this is an important these are okay I hope our listeners appreciate and understand these are not questions developed in a vacuum these are questions that um, many pastors uh, cannot think through and would actually uh, answer differently or not talk um, to or 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 yeah not like that's not our job to talk about yeah, those not things. relevant yeah in, in their own in their own like thinking. we're the church we don't we don't talk about i think these stuff. are entirely yeah. relevant because the extent in or well, we'll get into the extent and lordship of christ here in a minute well thank you kelly for uh, your time uh, at this uh, for this process this has been great we will continue this uh, in another episode of the podcast. But for now, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. 
So we want to thank our listeners for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. Air guitar, please, Kelly. God's word is truth.